kaiju lovers, I am Nate Marchand, the host and curator of the Monster Island Film Vault. Welcome everybody back to a brand new episode of whatever this is. I'm Elijah, and <laughs> I don't know what we're supposed to you're, do. You're so the hotel. Go. No, no, no. You got to tell the people this. This is your grand return to podcasting. You are the host of Kaiju Conversation. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> I am the host of Kaiju Conversation. <laughs> I am Elijah Thomas. I am back for the most part. <laughs> and and we're here to celebrate your birthday and my birthday and Ray's birthday. And Ray's birthday. Cuz good lord, all of we it was that's so funny to think about. You and me, that was crazy enough that we share a birthday. June 29th. But what was even nuttier is we found out that we share it with the great Ray Harryhausen. We are yeah. in good company, my friend. We and Gary Busey. Gary Busey. Oh my gosh. Ginger Deadman. Huh? That was an actual movie he was in. Anyway, we're <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I never saw it, but it exists. Anyway, so you and I thought to ourselves you know what we're podcasters we love monster movies we podcast about monster movies and we share a birthday with ray harryhausen this is too perfect so we decided to start a new little like a sub series on both of our shows so hello to everyone on both of our podcast feeds hi <laughs> How's it going? I'm sure you miss Elijah over here. Absolutely. We all, all miss all the little... two of my listeners. <laughs> and, you know, it's right up there with my five, you know. But <laughs> I mean, you got you got Jimmy, too. Yeah, that's true. I do have Jimmy. Yeah, see, he's here today. <laughs> well, hi, Jimmy. Okay. Yeah, you got to keep him in line. He he got in trouble a little bit earlier. He made an unauthorized visit to the beta site here on Monster Island and uh, got himself into a wee bit of trouble. Uh-oh. Uh, oh, calm down, Jimmy. You're, you're just going to lose all your Uber money for the last six months. You'll be okay. But anyway, so you and I decided that we were going to do an annual crossover episode for both of our feeds where we talk about a Ray Harryhausen movie. And what's funny is I asked you, okay, so because I've already covered a couple of Ray Harryhausen movies on my show, so I said, how do you want to do this? And you don't remember this. <laughs> I don't remember a lot. <laughs> well, you've you've had a, quite a blur. You just graduated high school. You're turning 18. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is a milestone birthday. Is it? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, it's a big deal. You're legally an adult now, as of this podcast recording. I can legally go to war yes. and die. And you can, well, well, I don't know. Can you buy cigarettes in your state at age 18? No, oh. and I would never do that. Well, yeah, but I'm just, you know, there's a lot you can do. But Stay anyway. in school, don't do drugs, and hang out people that do do drugs. That's right, Nathan. I said do-do. Happy. <laughs> I am thrilled at that. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, so you said, let's go backwards. I'm like, okay. I mean, it kind of made sense considering I've covered three of Ray Harryhausen's earlier films. I did Mighty Joe Young. I did Beast in 20,000 Fathoms. And most recently with our friends, 
Travis Alexander and Michael Hamilton of the Kaiju Weekly Podcast, I did 20 million miles to Earth. Have you done any Ray Harryhausen on your show? I forget. I have not done a Ray Harryhausen movie. Ah. I did a discussion about stop motion uh-huh. with a YouTuber that is no longer a good person. <laughs> I have talked about the... No, I haven't. I don't think, besides the stop motion thing, I've actually done anything Ray Harryhausen related. I feel like I've done something... I don't know. I, I I talk about movies all the time. I I know I've talked about it somewhere. I don't know if it's on record though. Okay, that makes sense. But we're going, to, like I said, we're going to be covering some Ray Harryhausen movies every year, as long at least as long as we're podcasters. And we are starting with his final film because we're weird. Clash of the Titans from 1981, not to be confused with the 2010 remake. Which, just to get this out of the way. I wasn't a huge fan of the remake. <laughs> it's been a long time. See, this is something I thought about. I haven't seen it in a long time. The original um, or the remake? I mean, both. But I haven't seen the remake in a long time. But I remember, I mean, the thing I remember most from it is the horrible, horrible color grading. Oh, yeah, because they, they, at the last second, they converted it to 3D. Is that what happened? Is that why it went all orange and white and orange and brown and white? Probably didn't help. Yeah, yeah. Probably didn't help. The only thing that I like in the remake is Liam Neeson as Zeus because Liam Neeson is awesome in everything. Even Star Wars. Yes, yes. Don't upset Jimmy. Well, Jimmy actually doesn't like the prequels, but I think we agree that Liam Neeson is a bright spot. That's for sure. I mean, he's just a good actor. Yeah, he really is. He really is. But, you know, it made sense, given what we're going to talk about in this movie, that you would have someone with the gravitas of Liam Neeson to be Zeus. Right. So, if you feel up to it, Mr. Thomas, would you like to give everyone a quick little plot rundown on this film? Absolutely. I will I will give you guys the plot rundown, a 100% stone-faced serious, the best plot breakdown of all time. <clears throat> so this dude gets a coffin and throws his daughter and the daughter's baby, his grandchild, into the coffin. He yeets the coffin off of a cliff into the water. The water yeets the coffin away. We find out that the dude whose daughter had the child is actually... Zeus's child. And Zeus is like, yo, no, bro, we gotta fix this. He gonna die. We're gonna kill him with our Kraken. And then we're gonna save my that daughter because I love her. I cheated on my wife for her. And I have a baby. And then from there, the baby got saved. The baby breastfed with the nipples, the big nipples. And they walked along the beaches naked. And then fast forward, and he's all grown up and then he's like looking at some moon and then Zeus is like or not Zeus one of the other gods is like I'm gonna move you into a coliseum with a weird theater guy and the theater guy's gonna be like who goes there (laughs) (laughs) and then we find out he's just a cool old dude that's kind of like 
Sorry for all the theatrics. I just try and scare people because I want them to think this place is haunted. <laughs> just like our theater director. Trust me, I know. <laughs> and then he's like, oh my God, there's this beautiful sword. It just appeared out of nowhere. And this beautiful helmet and this beautiful shield. And then he finds out that the helmet turns him invisible. So he runs off to the closest city and he's like, why are these people burning? And, th and then this dude's like, Yo, bro, these people, they try to get with the queen's daughter, and then they got the riddle wrong, so they got burned. And then, from there, the dude that got yeeted off the cliff as a baby who breastfed on the nipple <laughs> and walked across the beach naked, he was like, I'm going to sneak into this girl's room and look at her. That's Edward what he Cullen style. And then he walks in. And he stares at her, and then he sees this big birdie <laughs> headed right for him. You think this be New York? And then the big birdie is like squaw, squaw, squaw. And then the daughter, uh, the the lady, the lady that he snuck into the room Andromeda. to look at while she's Andromeda, Andromedia. She gets up, but it's not her actual self. It's like a ghost. And then she walks into the cage, and the bird's like, squaw, squaw, squaw. And then the bird flies away. Perseus, the dude who breastfed and was naked on the beach and got <laughs> yeeted off the cliff. This is, is a very like, important detail, I can tell. Yes, yes, very, very important. He's like, I have destiny. I must sleep with this person. <laughs> he just gets horny on main. And the rest of the movie is him horny on main. He, he, he just has this raging erection and that is that is exactly what he's here for he's just there to try and satisfy his desires so the rest of the movie is him fighting scorpions and two-headed dogs and this lady with weird snakes on her hair and this demon dude oh i did the demon dude Calibus. dude dude the demon dude he was like the daughter of the woman the, of the lady god that moved Perseus into the theater. Uh, and uh, th son, you mean? You said daughter. Oh, uh, the the son. <laughs> he was the son. Sorry, there's a lot of children in this movie. <laughs> Only one of them breastfed them. <laughs> And then Zeus turns the sun into this demon dude who has horns and a long tail and for some reason likes to whip people. Mm. Anyway, Perseus and the, this devil dude, Calibus, they fight. He steals the ring. He, he wins the daughter, the princess, who he snuck in sleeping. He wins her hand in marriage. And the queen's like, we're going to get you married. After killing a monster. After killing, killing well, a kaiju. Well, not at first. Ah. He cuts off Calibus's hand. He answers the riddle. He wins. Everything's happy. She insults the goddess. And then they're like, she's like, how dare you insult me in front of my statue? I'm going to curse you. You're going to have to sacrifice your daughter to the Kraken. <laughs> or else I'm going to kill all of you. <laughs> So then they send Perseus off onto an adventure to kill all these weird monsters to get the head of Medusa, this lady snake girl, and the silver-haired witch. <laughs> from three witches who have no eyeballs. Then they kill the, the Medusa. They travel back. 
They kill the devil dude. They kill giant scorpions. And during this, they get a metal owl that's an R2-D2 ripoff, even though it was made before (laughs) R2-D2. And there's a flying horse. And they go back to the, the city. And it's just in time because the Kraken's like, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> and the, the prince is like, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> and then just like a storybook, Perseus comes from the sky on his Pegasus and he gets knocked out of the sky. Only for the metal bird, the R2-D2 knockoff, to save us by grabbing the head of Medusa from the ocean, giving it to Perseus, and Perseus going, feast your eyes upon this, and turning the Kraken into stone, upon which it then collapses and falls into the ocean. And then he kisses the girl, and everybody lived happily ever after. Zeus is like, he won. I'm better than all of you gods. <laughs> I am the king, and that is why. <laughs> and then it ends with a beautiful uh, scroll of uh, constellations. Yes. Of which there are no breastfeeding in. <laughs> and that's the movie. <laughs> that's, the, that's the movie. That, uh... You've uh, outdone yourself there, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, truly, truly Oscar worthy. Oscar worthy. I know, right? I mean, it was just astonishing. Yeah. This is an A plus plus plot. Oh, flash, flash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, quite. Anyway. <laughs> Hello, Michael. That was for you. In, anyway. Indubitably. <laughs> indubitably. Uh, anyway, so. In a lot of ways, I was just going to start this off by saying, even when I first saw this as a wee lad, knowing that this was released in 1981, that was really weird because this doesn't quite feel like a 1981 movie. See, and this is one of my big talking points in the film. I think this film suffers because it was released in 1981. Mm, How so? So it was Ray Harryhausen's final film. Mm-hmm. And so it's very grand on scale. But the thing about it is, while watching the movie, because I know it was released in ni- 1981, it reminds me of a movie like Terror from Beyond Beyond, mm-hmm. um, that ind- indie film, that clearly wasn't made in the 1950s, mm-hmm. it was made in modern day, but they tried to capture that essence of the 1950s giant monster movie, mm-hmm. except in this, it's the people who worked on the 1960s fantasy movies mm-hmm. doing a fantasy movie in 1981. Mm-hmm. And when you compare it to what was around, I mean, by this time, Phil Tippett had made a name for himself. Star Wars. By Clash of the Titans, you had A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. I think The Thing came out in 1981. It might have been early 1982, but I know it was in that same time frame, which that has stop motion. You've got films like, you know, E.T. came out mm-hmm. in are, that are time. Are you thinking of Dragon Slayer? I didn't think of Dragon Slayer, okay. but my point being, I mean, Superman. Superman's Superman, another. yeah. Mm-hmm. All of these had came out around this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the entertainment landscape completely changed in the late mm-hmm. 70s thanks to 
Star Wars. Right. And, and so that's and, why I mean, this feels remarkably old fashioned. This feels like a 1960s it, movie that came out it, in 1981. It does. And I think, I think because of that, the film is dated more than it should be. It definitely Agreed. doesn't feel like it's held up because of the fact it came out in 1981 mm -hmm. and not like 1968. Yeah. That being said, there are a few sequences like with the three witches that the sticky feels, it feels 1980s. It's like, okay, this kind of reminds me of like labyrinth, mm -hmm. you know, Jim. And by the time that clash of Titans came out, I think labyrinth was early. Uh, it was mid eighties. Mid eighties, mm -hmm. uh, Labyrinth is kind of what I think reshaped fantasy films. Mm -hmm. Superman, I think, also did wonders on that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The nineteen eighties was the prime decade for fantasy films. There were a bunch of them in the eighties, and, and a lot so, of them are classics. Labyrinth, yeah. Legend, Conan the Barbarian. Speaking of which, did you know that? Arnold. They, they yeah. were at one point, yeah, the, they were trying to get financing and went to Orion Pictures and they wanted Arnold to be Perseus. And this was pre-Terminator. Yeah, it was, so. he had just finished Conan. Conan mm -hmm. was 19, it was released in 1982. So they hmm. wanted him in there, you know, it would have been like this big burly muscle man and Arnold grew up watching sword and sandal movies. But... Mm -hmm. There's I don't many, think he uh, would have fit with this, and they ended up not going with him because there was too much dialogue. <laughs> right. I mean, until really, until I would say after after Terminator mm -hmm. um, was when Arnold started getting. The reason he was picked for Terminator was because there wasn't many lines. Yeah, he, he was one of those actors that you never gave him a lot of lines. Mm -hmm. But the, it, Arnold wasn't the only choice. They also considered Michael York, Malcolm McDowell, and Richard Chamberlain. <laughs> Very different, but closer to what we got with Mr. Hamlin, I think is his name. Harry Hamlin. Yeah, yeah, Harry Hamlin. Who was an unknown. Now, there's a lot of big-name stars in this movie. In fact, it's probably the most prestigious cast of any Harryhausen movie. Uh, Harryhausen in an interview did say that Clash had the biggest uh, actors mm -hmm. that he had worked with on a film, mm -hmm. but it was all the gods. Yeah. And I, I think that fits though. I mm -hmm. think that fits. In uh, including Lawrence Olivier. Remember I was talking about Liam Neeson bringing such gravitas as Zeus. It's because we had Lawrence Olivier here as Zeus in this one and uh, like all of the actors for the gods were these Shakespearean actors from England and uh, did you know one of them was a Bond girl I did I did Ursula uh, Andress right she was Aphrodite and apparently and was so good as Aphrodite she had an affair with Perseus <laughs> yeah <laughs> and an affair and with Mr. Hamlin and had a kid yeah yeah, and then they got divorced two years later. Of course, because that's how these that's how these things work in Hollywood, right? <laughs> but so, going back to the main discussion point here, mm -hmm. there are certain scenes that feel eighties, but it, it's really weird because you're watching the film and it's got the Technicolor look. Mm -hmm. It's very bright, very colorful. Mm -hmm. It's, it's I. I, this is used for lack of a better term. It's very flat with its depth, mm -hmm. 
but then you cut to certain scenes and it's like, okay, there's a big soundstage here. Mm-hmm. Like the three witches. There's a few other sequences that escape me right now. But you can tell they're on this on, on a big soundstage. Oh, they or, also filmed on location. Yeah, or on location. And with the cameras they were using, it just it feels bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they filmed in England, Malta, Spain, and where they found some rare rock formations. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pestun, Italy. I hope I said that right, which is where some of Jason and the Argonauts have been filmed. And when they were filming on a set, it was at Pinewood Studios. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just... It's weird because most of the film, you feel like you're watching a 1960s Harryhausen, but then there are certain scenes. It's like, oh, okay, the color grading here and the the lighting and like this, just the style of it has switched entirely to mm-hmm. 1980s, mm-hmm. which I think is the director's input flooding in more so than Harryhausen because Harryhausen was a producer on this film. So he had more say on Clash of the Titans than I think most of his past films. It was directed by Desmond Davis. But like even to one of the writers for Clash of the Titans wrote Jason and the Argonauts. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, Beverly Cross. mm -hmm. And one of the actors was also in Jason and the Argonauts. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Okay. But, you know, there was a lot of there's a good amount of overlap between the classic Harryhausen and what was modern Harryhausen. Mm -hmm. But I think this is an example of Harryhausen sticking to his guns and not adjusting for the time period. Mm -hmm. Because, like I said, by this time, Phil Tippett was like, you know, he was about to be peak in his work. Mm hmm. And Phil Tippett was the nineteen, the late nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties Ray Harryhausen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I Even feel people like, like Stan Hyde. I would say, yeah, yeah. And you know, just as Harryhausen overshadowed Willis O'Brien in the late forties and the nineteen fifties, I think that had came to Harryhausen as well mm-hmm. by this time, because O'Brien, you know, you had Beast from hollowed mountain and you had the black scorpion which just couldn't compete with the brilliance of 20 million miles to earth or the beast from 20,000 or great example beast from 20,000 fathoms compared to the giant behemoth mm-hmm. ray harryhausen wills o'brien mm-hmm. harryhausen's is way better more detailed in every way mm-hmm. o'brien's is lacking mm-hmm. and i think Clash of the Titans suffers from that a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it feels a little out of place with its time period. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's not to say it's a bad film. And it did no, really I, well. I think it's fantastic. And it did well at the box office. It was, it was made for around $15 million or $9 million, depending on who you talk to. And it mm-hmm. made $70 million. It was a hit. Right, so. They almost made a sequel mm-hmm. in, the, in the mid-80s, 1984. It was going to be called Force of the Trojans. That's weird. Yeah, That's weird it is. Thing. And then there was a comic, comic. book spinoff called Wrath yeah. of the Titans, which then got was the title used for the sequel to the remake, which I never mm-hmm. bothered with the sequel to the remake because I didn't care for Likewise. the remake. Likewise. Yeah. But, yeah, so 
you know, I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm trashing the film, but it just, it feels out of place. It, it does. It feels like it's time had came and gone and this was kind of, it was Ray Harryhausen's last, he hadn't worked on a film in, I think, over 10 years by this point. Uh, no, he did some work in the 70s. Well, as stop motion animator slash director special effects, because it was a Sinbad movie in 71. I'm looking it up. Keep talking. I, I think, because, you know, 77, did, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, which... Well, if we keep up with our schedule, that'll be what we talk about next year. <laughs> Which, yeah. It, and, but before that, he had taken a break, if I recall. Yeah, uh, 73, Golden Voyage of Sinbad. And before mm-hmm. that, it was 69 with Valley of Guanji. So he had been, you know, uh, considering the fact that at one point he was doing a movie every year in the 1950s and then a movie like every other year in the 60s. Mm-hmm. It took him three was, years to make this one. Yeah, yeah, because I know the a lot of people claim that the bird, was it the vulture? Bobo? Bubo. No. Bubo. Bubo, the owl. Bubo was, a lot of people said Bubo was a R2-D2 ripoff, and then Harryhausen said, well, he was made before R2 yeah. was out, which, you know, that'd be 76. So it had been, it it, it had been a long uh, Star time Star Wars coming. was 77. But like production of it, I'm oh, sure yeah. there were mm-hmm. some, mm-hmm. some designs going in oh, yeah. probably late 76. Oh, yeah. So, you know, nineteen seventy-six was probably when ideas for Clash started happening. I the Tiger came out in seventy-seven, you uh-huh. said? Mm-hmm. And then by the end of that, I think, was when the script was done mm-hmm. and they were shopping around trying to get an approval and you know, people yeah, were saying, yeah. Oh, and it took them a while to get approval. Because of budgets and whatnot. Well, budget and it got smacked with the censor hammer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. That's yeah, because it was uh, the of... ending was going to be more brutal. The Kraken was going to tear poor Pegasus apart, and in keeping with the actual myth of Perseus and Andromeda, Andromeda, you would have gotten more nipples. She was going to be nude, just more breasts. Yep, yep. But the censor hammer said no, so they adjusted it. So. Pegasus does not die, and <laughs> Andromeda doesn't have to be naked. So, <laughs> damn. Yeah. So you know it. It had taken it a while, and then they started filming in 1980, mm-hmm. and then they wrapped up and released in '81. So you know, from 1977 or like 1978, 79, and 80, that was the time they were working on script and then, you know, mm-hmm. filming it. So, you know, that that's a pretty long time for a film. Yeah, well, Can, and uh, Harryhausen had a rough time with this. This was the first time he had assistance. He was essentially the A.G. Subaraya of yeah, this Yeah, film. Uh, Steve Archer and Jim Danforth. And Danforth had worked with Harryhausen before, and it was just going to be Steve Archer, but Steve Archer injured his hand while making the movie. Hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up that this, uh, this was a thought that just occurred to me. Harryhausen said in an interview that he actually prefers the past to the future. He thinks it's more romantic 
the future he thought was too focused on destruction. So the fact that we have a movie being released in 1981 that feels like it belongs in the 60s actually makes some sort of weird sense. Yeah, yeah, it's very poetic. Uh huh. But it, obviously, Harryhausen basically retired after this. I wonder if part of it was because his style of special effects was old hat. But I also think it was because I saw this in several sources doing the research. He was just burnt out by making yeah. this movie. That's why, for the first time in his life, he actually used assistance. Yeah, and I think at some parts it shows. Like earlier in the film, I think the stop motion is I, the superimposition is not good. There are some shots where, where, yeah, it doesn't look very good. I was kind of disappointed on my rewatch. A lot of it reminds me of the nineteen, the late nineteen sixties Die Gamera films with its superimposition. Oh, that's harsh. Oh, that's harsh. <laughs> is it? Is it oh. like Guiron? Guiron levels oh. superimposition. Oh, that hurts. Oh, uh, uh, show a gamma is hard for me to watch without Joel in the like, box. <laughs> well, like when they're uh, when they're about to go on the boat, uh, the uh, on the boat to ride the Death Sea. Am I am I getting so that? The river sticks. The river yeah. sticks and Quran. Yeah, when they're about to get on Karan's boat, mm-hmm. all the fog in that is just, mmm. That, that was like, ow. I, I've seen, be- like, 1979 John Carpenter's The Fog. Mm. You know, there's an example of, like, a film where they probably superimposed some fog on, on the film, and I thought it looked way better than, than Clash of the Titans. Mm. And The Fog, I think, was on a lower budget, too. Which is interesting because, uh, as you said, this was quoted at $15 million, which, interestingly, was by far the most expensive movie that Harryhausen ever made. In fact, the Ray Harryhausen podcast went so far as to say that that was, the, that was more than the combined budget of every movie he made before this. Which is really weird. I, I don't know. It's just That's because the budget- Star Wars movies like this were more expensive. Yeah, I mean that's it was Star Wars and Jaws. Jaws is Stars, what like yeah, really kicked Jaws. it off. Mm-hmm. It's just it's weird because I feel like his earlier films they might have been less. What's the word I'm looking ambitious? for here? Yeah, they might have been less ambitious because I feel like they like I think Twenty Million Miles looks way better than Clash on a special effects level besides the ending. I think the ending is where... Uh, I disagree with you, sir. I think I have to agree with Harryhausen's best friend in the world, Ray Bradbury. Medusa is his crowning achievement. Ooh. I mean, Medusa was pretty good. All those little snakes... That's what that does is it. true. That is true. All the little snakes moving and going every which way. Because Harryhausen said that he had seen Medusa in movies before, but that all he said all they really did was just put rubber snakes on an actress. He wanted to see the snakes moving in all these different directions, like they all had their own individual life and they were just moving around. And her face, her character design, the way she moved. There's some optical effects with her when she uses her petrification powers and her eyes get big and glow green. Her eyes are amazing. My gosh. Her her eyes look almost real. 
It's ridiculous. You know, and then that whole sequence with her sneaking around, the fact that she's lit by firelight and somehow Harryhausen replicated that and it looks amazing. And it was blended with the live action footage because Hamlin as Perseus was reacting to nothing. Right. It was a lot like when the actor for Sinbad had to fight the skeletons. No, that was Jason and the Argonauts. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's all right. I need to rewatch a lot of his films. Yes, um, this is true. That's why we're starting the series. <laughs> yeah, and that's one thing I do. At, towards the end of the film, when they release Pegasus from being trapped, when Pegasus is like freaking out because, you know, the, the whole camp is burning, mm-hmm. the colors in that I thought were beautiful. Oh, It yeah. was rainbow-like, and I was like, wow, this is... I really like this. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you were saying about the finale. What did you like about the finale? With, with the I, Kraken? Release I, the Kraken! <laughs> we, got, we, we had to, you know we had to get it in there. <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, <laughs> the big line from this movie. So, at the beginning, I was really disappointed with the Kraken. The underwater prop is horrible. That's they, they had two of them, and one was a 15-foot prop that they used for the underwater shots. I hate it. Like, it doesn't look good at all. But when we get to the maquette, mm-hmm. or the armature, the armature, mm-hmm. it feels so big. Like, it, it just does. I loved the, that the, the finale, I think, is really, really nice with how they treat the Kraken as this huge object. Mm-hmm. And then you've, you know, you've got Harryhausen doing the Kraken. Some of the Medusa had Bobo, right? Bil- Bubo. Bobo? Bubo. Bubo. I keep wanting to say Bilbo, but I know that's not it. <laughs> I know that's not it. Bubo. Bubo Baggins. <laughs> And Pegasus. So he's there's four stop motion creatures in this one scene. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to combine it with a live horse, two actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot on, of cutting back and forth. Uh, because yeah. Calibus was an actor on set for the close-ups and a puppet. Mm-hmm. I know they had a real a horse of- and the maquette. For Pegasus. I I noticed there was a lot of editing in this film. Like, there was was a lot of cutting. Mm -hmm. Which, sometimes I was like, this is a little, like, jumpy. Like, going from one to the other so quickly. Mm -hmm. But I also understood. I thought, okay, that's that's a fair way to to try and do this. Instead of trying to go over the superimposition that Mm -hmm. is kind of lacking in this film. Mm -hmm. So... I feel like we're going to go into a rabbit hole with this one. The score oh. at the end. Mm-hmm. I love that. The score throughout the film is so big. It is. And, and it's big. It's epic. And also romantic. Which makes sense for this story. Mm-hmm. And like, you know. Yeah, the, the composer was Lawrence Rosenthal, but it was almost John Barry. What did he do? Lawrence Truth. Rosenthal or John Barry? John Barry. John Barry was best known for doing James Bond movies. Really? Uh-huh. He also tried his hand at science fiction and fantasy, but he had a mixed track record with that. Like, he did the score for King Kong 76. 
which is great, Ooh. but the movie was what yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is probably one of two Harryhausen films that I would say have a great, memorable soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Seventh Voyage, I mm-hmm. think, would be the other one that I, I would say is up there to this grandiose mm-hmm. And this was done by uh, the London uh, Symphonic Orchestra, mm-hmm. if I if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember because they they did a lot of those more fantasy films back then, mm-hmm. didn't they? Sounds kinda, right. Didn't they do? Wasn't didn't John Williams conduct them for Star Wars? I don't know offhand. I, I know they've done a lot. Mm-hmm. So let me uh, do a quick Google search here. So uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm -hmm. Which this opened the same day as Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's crazy. Yeah, they did Superman. Okay, Okay, they did Superman. Let's see here. They did a lot of film. Oh, okay. So they actually did for Harryhausen, The Three Worlds of Gulliver, Mysterious Island, both by Bernard Herrmann. They did The Sound of Music. They've done a lot. They did Star Wars, The Fury, Empire Strikes Back, Mm -hmm. Clash of Titans, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Dark Crystal, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, they did all the Star Wars, it looks like. So, you know, uh, being able to hear them do this, it was really nice. Because, I mean, that orchestra is just astounding. Mm -hmm. You know, without them, we wouldn't have such beautiful compositions for a lot of, like, John Williams' work. Mm -hmm. For sure. So... You know, I, I, I just, I love the music in this. I thought the ending really was just so rich mm-hmm. with color, with stop motion. It was just effects in mm-hmm. general with the score. It just, it felt right that that was the final bow of Harryhausen mm-hmm. as special effects director mm-hmm. in cinema. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it's kind of bittersweet. Watching that, you know, this movie from that feels like it belongs in a bygone era, <laughs> and how this was kind of the end of that, right? Yeah, no. When Clash of the Titans came out, it was the end of a genre. Mm-hmm. In a way, I would say it was the last. I, I kind of say it like Arabian Nights mm-hmm. film. Do you do you know what I'm trying to say when I say that? Like it was the last of the Thousand and One Tales? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because at this and, point, Harryhausen's bread and butter was fantasy films like this but oh, yeah. that are based in the classics. He was and, a lover of the classics. Right, and he, he hated where cinema was going with realism. And, you know, mm-hmm. he, he went as far to say as... Those more realistic movies are boring. Mm-hmm. He, he said that in an interview that... The movies were meant for fantasy. <laughs> right. Which it's, that is a can of worms. That is that, a can of worms. 
that I heavily have an yeah. opinion in. Yeah, I would probably would say like, you know, Ray, I love you, but probably not. <laughs> well, see, I agree with him mm. to an extent. Mm-hmm. I think the genre that he was in mm-hmm. that, you know, horror, science fiction, fantasy action, mm-hmm. that opinion translates very well into tokusatsu. Mm-hmm. You know, David Callett talked about how in the Japanese culture, cinema is viewed more as an art. Mm-hmm. Japanese culture likes art and fantasy and poetry mm-hmm. more than it does uh, realism. Realism. Mm-hmm. And that's what really draws me to Japanese genre films is it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Which now, is funny because Harryhausen was was known for saying he didn't like the Japanese stuff. Although I saw an interview for, I think it was for my 20 million miles episode where he said nice things about what quote unquote, the Japanese were doing. Really? Mm hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. But as a rule, he didn't like what the likes of Eiji Tsuburaya and, and the Japanese were doing. Right. He thought it was cheap. Right. And which I would go as far to say is what Subaraya was doing is what kind of ended up altering the landscape of special effects, mm-hmm. which is kind of what put Ray into this era that by the 1980s was gone. I mm-hmm. think the reason why the Godzilla films of the 1980s and 90s don't feel dated is because the idea of miniatures with, you know, mechanical parts or men in suits or puppetry mm-hmm. was really the push of special effects in that era. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you still saw like in Terminator, there is stop motion in Robocop. There mm-hmm. is but stop it's motion. very different from what Ray was doing. Right. It was more of a, okay, we can't do this with modern technology. How are we supposed to do this without it making it look bad? Oh, let's get Phil Tippett to do stop motion. Mm -hmm. Or Stan Hyde. Right. And then, of course, you know, Jurassic Park came out 10 years later. 10 years later completely changed the the landscape. You know, I'd I'd say King Kong and then maybe like the beast from 20,000 fathoms and then Godzilla and then something like star uh, jaws or jaws, star wars star wars they're and then, they're these these moments in cinematic history that just change everything yeah which you know i think ray was a little upset by that mm-hmm. ray was very much a man of tradition mm-hmm. i would say i mean he grew up on stop motion he mastered the craft of stop motion. He died on stop motion. Mm-hmm. Like he, 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 he did not change his ways. No, he kept to what he knew best. Mm-hmm. And that's both admirable. And I think a hit to his genius mm-hmm. because of the fact that he couldn't go anywhere different but he could keep putting out gold with mm-hmm. his effects. Mm-hmm. 
because I mean Ray Harryhausen is the greatest stop motion artist of all time. Mm-hmm. I I will die on uh, that. Uh, other than potentially Willis O'Brien, because without I, Willis I, O'Brien, there would be no Ray Harryhausen. Willis O'Brien is the Godfather, but Harryhausen is the king. Oh yeah, yeah. I no question. I respect I respect O'Brien, but. I feel like if I saw like Clash of the Titans or Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms in theaters, I would not see the jerking that I saw in like King Kong. Mm-hmm. And like like I said, if you compare Beast to Behemoth, I think it's night and day the the quality. Oh now, yeah, I, I, there were Im- point, Harry hasn't had imitators back in the the sixties for sure. Mm-hmm. Who they just could never do it as well. Right. Another, uh, you know, a film that came out around the time I, the tiger came out planet to the dinosaurs mm-hmm. that had pretty good stop motion and a, a little wink to Harryhausen with mm-hmm. the Redosaurus appearing. Mm-hmm. And that film that, that definitely is a film of the, it feels more early seventies than 1977, mm-hmm. but like that, that's another one of those, I think last hurrahs of stop motion mm-hmm. for the prime usage in mm-hmm. in its films mm-hmm. do you want to switch on to a different topic oh, here? i'd love I to like... i'd love to i've got plenty of notes that we could Excellent. go into with this there's a lot that we could bring up i have a lot of notes about uh, about medusa and how that scene like i said you know we talked about the sensor hammer they also this is the funny thing the medusa scene which is i think one of the greatest scenes in this movie. Mm-hmm. I've made that. I've made that known. Did you know that that scene got hit with almost almost got hit with the sensor hammer in both the United States and Britain, but for very different reasons. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, the American censors were worried about Medusa basically being topless. Right. I mean, it's she has exposed breasts, but they're covered in snake scales. So Harry hasn't had to play with lighting to get around that, mm-hmm. but they did have. But the American censors didn't have any problems with her getting decapitated. Meanwhile, the, the British censors didn't care about the nudity, but they were worried about the decapitation. <laughs> it's like pick your poison here, basically. So it's just funny how that all worked out. This is, by the way, the only. Harry has a film that is rated PG, although you were joking. It's like, how is this PG? Because it has nudity. It's also the only Harry has a movie with nudity. But this was before the PG-13 rating existed. Although, I did once rent a movie as a wee lad that was rated PG, and it had some brief nudity in it, and my mother was not happy with me. Was it a dinosaur movie? No, it was Robot Jocks, the <laughs> the full moon movie with the stop motion robots. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I was like, I just she's she's like, what? How? It's like you brought this movie. I was like, I didn't know. <laughs> I was surprised that you are. So I wonder if the same thing might have happened there. I mean, you already made numerous jokes about it because we have a breastfeeding scene. There's a, the nude walk on the beach. But that that was classical culture in ancient Greece. It wasn't a big mm-hmm. deal. It was just 
the accepted norm. I mean, you look at most Greek sculpture, <laughs> they're nudes. The Greeks loved the human form. And mm-hmm. I think this movie does showcase that a little bit. But, you know, so there, uh, so you had that issue that poor Medusa ran up against. <laughs> and I will say I really like, I mean, the set design in that scene I think is really nice. Mm-hmm. I don't remember a lot. The lighting the is remake. what does it. Yeah, the the lighting is so dramatic, and I think that's what makes it better than the remake. Because mm-hmm. if I remember right, the remake is a lot more. I don't dull. even. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even remember Medusa being in the remake. I remember the Kraken is in the remake, but I don't remember if Medusa was in it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, I'll look it up here. Keep talking. The lighting, like you brought up, is really nice. I like how uh, she was. She was, okay. and she was CGI. Mm-hmm. No surprise, but yeah, she was in the uh, she was in the remake. But you know, it's funny. They actually changed how Medusa dies in this movie. There was at one point they weren't going to use the sword. They were actually going to pull a Captain America. They were going to have Perseus take her head off. With a frisbee throw of the shield. I'm happy they did the sword because they needed a reason for that sword to be They did, they did. But apparently, now I don't know how true this is because one source I looked at said this, but another one didn't. But apparently Harry Hamlin didn't like Mm -hmm. the idea of doing the frisbee throw because he said it wasn't what was in the myth. And when he had to film that scene and that hadn't been changed, he threatened to quit the movie. Huh. Mm-hmm. And he stayed in his trailer <laughs> to the annoyance of of uh, Charles H. Schneer, who was the producer, and Ray Harryhausen, <laughs> and the director. Mm-hmm. And they managed to get him to come out, according to this story, by changing the scene. Hmm. Interesting. He was a big deal. And this movie did take some flack for taking some liberties, which is funny because... Harry Hausen was a lover of the classics, and he said, like, if we adapted these stories exactly as they were, they wouldn't be that interesting a movie. So we had to take some liberties. Right. And honestly, I looked up an article that outlined the liberties that were taken from the original Perseus myth. And a lot of the myth is in there. There's a lot of in there, but a lot, but then they changed some things that's more just kind of. Re- and here's the thing I would argue that when it comes to mythology, you're allowed to reinterpret it and to retell it in a different fashion because that's how myths always work there's multiple versions of all of these greek mythological stories anyway there were different ideas presented about how medusa ended up the way she was or if she always looked beautiful but just had snake hair if she was a monster like she was in this depended Mm -hmm. on who you talk to but you know the pegasus was actually not the last of its kind and part of a herd of horses that belonged to zeus Pegasus, the Pegasus in the myth actually sprang out of the blood of Medusa after Perseus killed her. That and a sword-wielding giant. <laughs> <laughs> but they replaced those with, with the scorpions. The scorpions. Yeah. yeah. Which, minor question, uh, sidetrack here. Mm-hmm. Do you think the scorpions were a bit of a nod to like Black Scorpion a bit? It wouldn't surprise me. They looked very similar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then some, you know, some other things. The big one is that the Kraken is not even a Greek myth. 
It's Norse. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, the kraken in Norse mythology is more like an octopus. Octopus, right. Mm-hmm. So, right. like, the kraken that's in the parts of the Caribbean movies, that's actually truer. And for what I remember of the kraken in the remake, it was actually closer to the real kraken, which they yeah. probably did that just so they could be different, which is Right, funny. right. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> This Kraken is undoubtedly Harryhausen. Oh, yeah. And it looks like the Emir. <laughs> yeah, it looks like the Emir and the the Martians from his proposed mm-hmm. War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. Now that, oh, man. War of the Worlds is such a good movie. <laughs> Harryhausen working on it would have just made it even better. Also, the fact that they used Clash of the Titans because it's a good title. The Titans are in Greek mythology, but they're not actually in this movie. They try to call Medusa and the Kraken Titans, but neither yeah. of them are actually Titans yeah. in Greek mythology. Isn't the Titans like the children? No, they God? the gods are the chil- are the Titans' children. Gotcha. They ruled the universe before the gods. The gods That's overthrew right. them. That's right. Mm-hmm. If you watch the Disney Hercules, you get an idea of that. Yes. Yes, you do. And... Then you have stuff like like Calibus. Calibus is not from mm-hmm. the myth at all. He's actually based more on Caliban from Shakespeare. And Bubo is not in the myth. However, Athena, who's the goddess that commissions Hephaestus to make the little mechanical Bubo because she had an, an actual owl named Bubo, but she didn't want to send him off to help Perseus because all of the other gods don't like Perseus and they think Zeus is way too nice to him. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's how a lot of these Greek myths work. It's just the gods bickering with each other and the poor mortals are caught in the middle. (laughs) Right. And so she had Hephaestus make the little robot. He's not in there, but Athena was associated with owls. Mm -hmm. And also, Bubo, interestingly, is actually the scientific name for the Eurasian horned owl. It's called the Bubo Bubo. Interesting. Mm. So there are some connections. So it doesn't follow the myth exactly. And you know what? I'm okay with that. But people criticize the movie for doing that. But I've also heard that watching this movie inspired people to look into mythology and become classicists. And I've even heard that this movie is used by school teachers to teach mythology. That's not surprising. Yeah, and but it's not just this movie. It's all the other ones that he did. It inspired people to look into it. You know, right, Jason I mean, and the Argonauts, the Sinbad movies, all I mean, of these things. Harryhausen did wonders with trying to bring the classic stories into the modern era. You know, he didn't have to modernize them. Mm-hmm. He just brought them into the light, and when he did it, he did it well. Mm-hmm. And the Clash of the Titans, at least... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Caliban was from the Tempest, by the way. I just found. Gotcha. That. Looking through. That. Gotcha. Uh, Clash of the Titans is like. I correct me if I'm wrong, but the theater mentor caretaker for Perseus, played by Ammon. Burgess Meredith. This is the second movie this month that I have watched that has Burgess Meredith, <laughs> and the other ones being theoretically being released the same day as this episode because he was in Beware the Blob. Hmm. Burgess Meredith, Rocky, you're a bum, Rock. You're a bum. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and now he's a mentor in this. He's like the one American actor in this, other than I right. think Harry Hamlin. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he's not in the myth. Ammon, there is a character named Ammon in Greek mythology. I'll look that uh, up here really quick. I don't think it's the same character that's in the movie, I think. The point I'm getting to here is for Clash of the Titans, it's almost like a combination of Greek myth and Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. Especially with these Shakespearean actors. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, you have your character who is in the theater who kind of is there to, like, cheer on Perseus throughout Mm -hmm. the film. It's very interesting to see two of history's greatest ways of storytelling, you know, the the Greek mythology and Shakespeare kind of combine and show us this really brilliantly combined story. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm going back to it's very poetic. Mm-hmm. This film is at the end of the film. He talks about how he's going to it almost feels like it's Ray speaking to the audience mm, mm-hmm. about how this story would be a great poem or a play mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how Harry Housen was like, it's a very poetic film mm-hmm. and it's a film, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a play, but on camera. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, Ammon actually has some very interesting lines that I think in a way you could interpret as being very much, something that Ray Harryhausen would say, you know, he said that when he was a young man, he was obsessed with tragedy, but now he's decided that life is too full of tragedy to write about it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, I I really felt like his character was in a way Ray Mm -hmm. speaking to the audience Mm -hmm. and kind of putting himself in the film. Mm -hmm. I mean, Medusa kind of breaks the fourth wall. She looks directly at the camera when she's turning that one guy to stone. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. It's almost like she's trying to do it to the audience, too. And I'm sure she did petrify a few people, scared some people. (laughs) She is a scary, scary monster. Uh, Oh, and uh, Medusa in mythology wasn't an archer. Didn't she have a sword? No, I think she was just a monster, but Ray said that he got that from the myth of Diana, who was an archer, Athena. And what's funny is that Medusa is in a tabletop game that I absolutely love called Unmatched, and she's an archer. And I guarantee you it's probably because of this movie. Yeah, it definitely. <laughs> but going back to the mythos a bit, I felt like Zeus was a little weird in this movie, knowing how Zeus was in the Mythos, he was kind of a a-hole. <laughs> oh, yeah, and uh, he was. they talk about it, how he's just cheating on everybody. He's got this thing for mortal women. Greek mythology is full of demigods that are fathered by Zeus and mortal women. <laughs> yeah, and like... Perseus has got a whole slew of half-brothers running around right. doing things. Yeah. Yeah, where's the Zeus cinematic universe? It's called Greek mythology. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it was weird. Like, Zeus is very, like, he's my son. 
don't mess with him. Mm-hmm. And then they messed with him. And then Zeus was like, fine, I'll give him something. It was very like petty. They're back that, but and that's forth. how the Greek gods were. They were right. all petty. You and you can interpret what he's doing as petty, but the rest of the gods are just as petty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are, but like it, I, it got weird when Zeus was like, "Sure, release the Kraken." Like it, I well, was like, it, there wasn't anything he could do at that point. Couldn't he just be like, "No"? Yeah, but what would what would Perseus have learned at that point? I mean, that's fair. I guess for I, narratively speaking, it makes sense. Practically speaking, I think it's it's a little more. Yeah, but that's the nature of mythology. I, I will, but there are points where, like, dude, you could just you know put your foot down because you're Zeus, but you know that that we wouldn't have a story, and Perseus wouldn't have overcome everything. And I think that was kind of the point when you get to the end, because one of the goddesses says, "This is a dangerous precedent." Now the mortals are going to realize that through courage and imagination, they can overcome anything and they won't need us. That was a very, I don't like using this term, but meta, like Mm -hmm. hearing them talk about that at the end, Mm -hmm. especially in the modern era. Yeah. Well, which is something that, and it's kind of, it's one of my gripes with the remake because the remake really ran with that. Because the whole reason that they were doing what they were doing in the remake was because the humans were no longer worshipping them, so they were losing their power. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to maintain that. So they, But that meant that they had to basically scare the humans into continuing to worship them. And I'm like, I don't like this interpretation. I don't like this take on it. It's just... It, just, mm, it, it felt very anti-religion, even though it's couched in greek mythology i didn't much appreciate it and this one zeus admits yeah but there's still plenty of vice on earth that they're still gonna need us <laughs> yeah it's, it's kind of bittersweet because it's you know he's like yeah that'll happen but there's also other people yeah, yeah it was there's still plenty of it left <laughs> they're still gonna need us <laughs> but yeah like i said that was the whole point perseus had to Cultivate that you know those virtues, courage and imagination to overcome all of that. Mm-hmm. And Zeus was trying to teach a lesson to the other gods because they were being just as petty. I mean, Thetis right. w- with Calibus, <laughs> she was trying to give him favors. Like if he was your son, you would be nice to him. Now, even though we're told he was cruel, he was cruel mm-hmm. before he got ter- punished by Zeus. Right. I wish we could have seen that. And apparently there was a version of the script where we would have seen that. He would have been in the credit sequence. See, that would have been cool. I I, I really Calibos kind of felt like a plot device more than a villain. Yeah, a a little bit, but he's just one of the numerous obstacles that Perseus right. has to overcome. The plot in this movie is actually pretty simple. It's it is. just it's very... there are all of these things that he has to overcome, which is very in keeping with Greek mythology. They liked doing that, where you would have these, where you know the plots are simple, but the whole story is about overcoming each obstacle and being strong and clever when you do it. Because that's very much what Perseus is in this. Which is why I'm glad that they didn't have Arnold as much as they love Arnold. It wouldn't have really worked because he would have been this big muscle man, and the physicality would have been great, but. Perseus doesn't always use his physicality to win. He has to be clever. He can't slay the Kraken. 
he needs Medusa's head to do it. He has to be clever. He can't just walk up to Medusa, out-muscle her, and kill her. She has a bow and arrow, for one thing. And if she looks at you, you turn to stone. So he has to be smart. He has right. to watch her with the reflection in the shield and then wait for her to come by and then decapitate her. He has to be clever. And I like that. And that wouldn't have worked with Schwarzenegger, I think. Right. Yeah, I feel like... Because Arnold's more brawn over brain. Mm-hmm. Now, watch roles. Conan. Conan is yeah, not... Yeah. Conan is not terribly clever, but he's incredibly strong. Yeah, I mean, he's very it, mighty for sure. Defeat your enemies. Yeah, to uh, crush your enemies and see the driven before you and to hear the lamentations of the women. Yeah, like uh, that's kind of Arnold's whole shtick. Yeah, as Conan, anyway. So you know, was crush your enemies. Yeah, he, he he couldn't come across as a very brainy individual. I yeah, think. not to mention, I just don't think it would have. He wouldn't have worked for the romantic scenes either. Yeah, he I he's too strong of a presence and an actor to have those personable moments, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I would agree with you there. As much as I love him, he's great as Conan, probably not really your Perseus. But like I said, yeah, I see what you mean by that. And they didn't shy away from that. The The goddesses all complain about Zeus doing that. They talk about it. He's like, he's got this weakness for mortal women. He keeps taking different forms so he can go you do things. He's got all these kids running around. and So I, their resentment actually makes sense. But one of the other goddesses is like, is he really doing this for Danae? You know, Perseus's mother is like, no, it's not for her. It's because he takes pride in his son. Right. And I like that thought. And I think it's something that really resounds with people, especially young men, that, you know, the idea of your father taking pride in you. So he's going out of his way to help you out. You know, because Perseus does get a fair amount of help from the gods. He also gets a lot of obstacles thrown his way by the gods. Another issue I have with the remake where we don't really have that. We got Zeus saying, oh, yeah, I like Perseus, but he's not really helping him. Not really, mm-hmm. for what I remember, mind you. It's been years since I've seen it, but... Yeah, like you said, it's very basic, but it works. Mm-hmm. And it tells and, yeah. the story it needs to tell. Mm-hmm. And Calibus doing what he's doing, it fits in with that. You know, He was the original suitor for Andromeda, which is not in the myth, but... you know, So he's whisking her away and trying to woo her, but she's having none of it. And mm-hmm. then he gets jealous because of Perseus and she likes Perseus. Oh, and Perseus has to answer her riddle and she changes the riddle all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he's clever and he and figures out the riddle. And then, you know, like that makes sense for why Calibus would be going after him. But like I said, it's just, he's just one of multiple things that he has to deal with. Right now, if we're going to talk about Calibus for a bit, there was, I, I put two uh, things in my notes about him. What's that? The first one was I loved the transformation sequence. I loved how it was oh, the shadow. Oh, was in shadow is the little clay yeah. figure because Zeus yeah. Zeus <laughs> collects ac- uh, clay action figures of everybody. Of yeah. Everybody. Oh, what's really scary is he crushes the one for Danae's husband because mm-hmm. he was he was the one who threw him into the coffin, mm-hmm. <laughs> put him out to sea, and he crushed it, and the guy basically had a heart attack and died. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, while the clay figure turned to dust. And I thought that was funny because I saw an interview of Ray Harryhausen where he joked that he had a quote-unquote Zeus complex because <laughs> he made little figurines and moved them around and controlled them. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm a little scared now. <laughs> Plot twist. After Ray Harryhausen passed away, he just went up and became, became Zeus. Zeus. And he just manipulates all of us with little, little uh, plot twist. Ray Harryhausen is Zeus. <laughs> He's been Zeus this entire time. He didn't die. He just went back to Olympus. <laughs> Considering I live and work on Monster Island, that's not much of a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then the last one, I uh, the only uh, the other note I had for Calibos, and this is a negative, so I had a positive and a negative, was his death was a bit messy with the sound mixing. Mm. There's a lot of moments where he like he opens his mouth like he's supposed to be yeah. like, ah, <laughs> ah, and it's just silent. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be that he screamed briefly and his mouth just stayed open in shock. I don't know. There, it, I feel like it's like moving throughout that death mm. sequence. But mm. well, Harryhausen, <laughs> Harryhausen said that he was known for making his characters die like they were tenors in an opera, <laughs> <laughs> and that was definitely a very dramatic death for it poor was. Calibus. There, it was. And is, while we're talking about the story and kind of the script here, I forgot the comedy. I didn't realize there was it's like funny. Yeah, there there's a lot of parts. It's like wow, okay. And there's some witty lines in this too. Yeah. I, I liked I'm invisible. Can't you see? Yeah, I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, you know what? No, Jimmy. No. That gets the rim shot. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> that was a good one. It was just it, the wit in this film was kind of like I forgot it. Happened. Well, it's Burgess Meredith. I think that's part of it. Burgess mm-hmm. Meredith was a very veteran act. He'd been acting for like fifty years at this point. <laughs> Rocky was just the latest thing he was doing. Oh, and Bubo, the physical comedy with Bubo, because mm-hmm. he doesn't quite work. Which I think was a plan by Athena. She's like, no, I'm not gonna give him my actual owl. I'll make the robot. Uh, I'll make the clockwork double, but he'll be kind of defective. Yeah, it won't work quite. Quite. Yeah, but and let me tell you, Harryhausen fans are very protective of Bubo. You do not mess with the Bubo. <laughs> I actually read somewhere that Bubo later appeared in a Justice League animated episode. He did. He did. Justice League action, which I haven't seen yet. And oh, he gets mistreated in the remake. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets thrown away with the garbage. I remember that. That made people so angry. So angry. I would all... Uh, here's the thing. I don't know if you listen to the power trip, Elijah, but I think there is a Bubo-inspired character in both Super Sentai and Power Rangers. I wouldn't be surprised if that mm-hmm. was If you the watch case. Time Ranger, which got made into Time Force, mm-hmm. there's a character in Time Force. His name is Circuit. He's a little blue owl robot. And both Michael and I were like, he was inspired by Bubo, wasn't he? And he's adorable. Circuit is adorable. Yeah, and one thing that Harryhausen talked about was how 
much he heard about how he inspired people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. I, he said that one of the things that kind of kept him going was hearing from like Phil Tippett and George mm-hmm. Lucas and James Cameron and Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. how his films helped inspire them. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm going to go back to the first thing I brought up. It, it's really interesting to see like at one point, Harryhausen working with the people or working around the people that claimed that they are what made them go into movies. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's poetic. It goes back to how Willis O'Brien taught Harryhausen everything he knew Mm -hmm. because he was O'Brien's apprentice. Mm -hmm. And now we have Harryhausen working around like George Lucas and Spielberg. Mm -hmm. It's it's poetic. It's nice. Mm-hmm. I'm using that. Today's word is poetic. <laughs> I could tell. Just one more quick thing, because there's we could go into a lot. I, well, I have a couple of things. Did go you know it. that there were action figures for this? There were toys. I did. I by uh, Mattel. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they and were always really hard trying to, to play get. catch up because they infamously turned down Star Wars. Yeah. And then the toys they made. Or this movie got buried by Star Wars. Yeah, they didn't do well, and then now they're like really hard to get. They're really but hard lo- to get, but they had I a bunch love- of them. They had little, they had little figurines for the different characters. They had a big Kraken. Kraken, yeah. And uh, they had a Pegasus that was modeled after a girl's horse doll. And mm-hmm. what's really crazy is apparently they had a working prototype for a clockwork Bubo, but they never released it because the rest uh. of the toys didn't sell. Yeah, I, I would love to get my hands on a Kraken. Oh, we may have to scour eBay a little bit, see if we can find it. <laughs> Not for the $700 price tag, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's gotten a little nuts. It's funny how that works. And th- just a fun little fact, shout out to our friend Danny DeMana. The novelization of this film was written by Alan Dean Foster, who was a prolific fantasy and science fiction writer. Wrote some Star Wars. He wrote a lot of things. I feel like I, I read that somewhere when I was doing my little look into the research. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would be curious to read this novelization. Because I hear he goes into a little more depth about the characters, which typically happens hmm. in novelizations right. because you're allotted the space to do it. Right. So, yeah. There's a lot we could go into about this, but I think you know we've gone on plenty long. So, unless you have anything else to add to this, I think we can call our first Harryhausen crossover special a success. <laughs> I mean, do you want to go into any, like, I, I'm fine if you want to go into another little thing or not. Well, mm-hmm. I, I'm just looking over my notes, seeing what we haven't already covered. Harryhausen was inspired by a movie that he saw in his childhood called Freaks, which had people mm-hmm. without legs which is where some of the inspiration for Medusa came from. Hmm. I forgot to mention that the other monster in the myth that came out of Pegasus, not Pegasus, but Medusa's blood was the was called Chrysaur. That was the, okay. the giant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know why that happened? It's because Medusa was pregnant by Poseidon. Oh, God. You remember that little story that they told about why she ended up the way she did in this movie? That is from yeah. the myth. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, Poseidon was hilarious in this movie. Oh, yeah. 
I loved watching him mm-hmm. underwater. Mm-hmm. He looks very confused sometimes. <laughs> He's just kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm releasing a <laughs> kraken. And the talking sense from Bubo apparently came from a British TV, uh, British children's TV show called The Changers. I know nothing about that, but apparently Harryhausen was a fan. That tracks. <laughs> All right. I have no idea what that is. So... Because I didn't grow up in Britain. I'll ask WHG3 if he knows anything about that. Oh, the music. and You're talking about the soundtrack. The music arches up when Medusa comes onto the scene and arches her back. I like the detail. Mm -hmm. Burgess Meredith was a pretty nice guy, but he was known for being, quote-unquote, slightly cantankerous on set. He liked to test the director. (laughs) I mean... I would Meredith. It. Have you seen Rocky? I mean, come on. You're a bum, Rock. You're a bum. <laughs> oh, and they also think that Harryhausen got Kraken from an early 20th century story called Kraken Awakes. But in the in the I should have brought this up. In the original myth, it was Cetos, I think was the creature's name, and it was a Leviathan. It was a serpentine fish. So do you think that's kind of why the design of the Kraken is the way it is a little Probably. bit. Probably. That would make sense. I don't know why they decided to use that instead of Cetos. I think Kraken just sounds better. It does. Because, uh, I mean, one, one thing about filmmaking is sometimes people just do it because it looks and sounds better. Mm-hmm. You know, it, what what was it? Cetos? Cetos. Release Cetos. Yeah, release Cetos. Release the Kraken. Yeah. I mean, which one sounds cooler? Yeah, I can't argue with you there. I feel like the Kraken in general is just a more universally acknowledged image. You know, giant octopus, octopi have been, I mean, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea had a movie adaptation in... Was it 1918, 1954? Sounds about right. It's Cetus. Yeah. C-E-T-U-S. So like Zetus, but Cetus. Mm-hmm. Release the Cetus. Eh. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. Eh. It eh. doesn't work. Yeah, not really. Not it's just really. cool. It is. And it's honestly, I think next to Medusa, I think is probably the best creature in this although the the pegasus is impressive too because mm-hmm. oh my gosh they had to work so hard to get the pegasus to look right right yeah they did some test footage where it was just the wings flapping when it uh, when it flew but it didn't look right so then they changed it to make it look like it was galloping in the air and i really like that it looks so dynamic yeah it it i think on a visual standpoint galloping while the wings are flying just it adds a sense of fantasy to it that's like okay i recognize this but i also it's new to me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then what's interesting is that perseus has to tame the pegasus right yeah that that so it's a gift it's a gift from his father like the uh, the sword and the helmet and the shield but he had to earn this one yeah and that i thought that was kind of cool how he had to work to get this Mm-hmm. That specific one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other ones were just given to him. Right. 
So, which is nice. I don't like it necessarily when the heroes just have stuff handed to them. I like seeing them earn things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good line here from Ammon. Call no man happy who is not dead. <laughs> Amen to that one. <laughs> <laughs> How very nihilistic of you. <laughs> Another good line from Zeus. A hundred good deeds cannot atone for one murder. That was a really nice line. Mm-hmm. I really like that one. There's some really it. good ones in this. And I think that's that goes back to the attempt to be a little Shakespearean. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, these are... Uh, uh, that's basically most of the important notes that I have. Oh, I have one last criticism. Oh, what's that? At the end, when Zeus is doing his monologue, and he's like, I put them in the stars, Perseus, mm-hmm. which uh, is a thing. In, which is a thing in Greek mythology. That's how, how they explain a lot of the constellations. Right. But he says Perseus, Andromeda, Pegasus, and then... Uh, what's... Uh, I, the fourth one was like the least important out of the story, but Cassiopeia. when it, yeah, Andromeda's when, when, mother, when it shows the constellation constellations, it goes Perseus, Andromeda, Andromeda's mother, then Pegasus, which is a little weird. I didn't like that. I wish it would have went Perseus, Andromeda, Pegasus, Andromeda's mother, like how he lists it. I'm with Jimmy. That's very nitpicky. <laughs> I know it's a nitpick, but like I saw it, and I was like, "Oh my god, why did you do it that?" Way? Like I, I went, I went all like, "Why, why, why?" <laughs> so you freak out over the weirdest things, dude. <laughs> it's it's the little things that matter. Apparently, that uh, for you that is the case. Although, let's be honest, we've all done that at one point or another. Be nitpicky. Yeah. Oh, here's that actor you were trying to remember earlier. Jack Gwilliam. Jack Gwilliam. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He was Poseidon, and he was King 80s in Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah. Yep. That sounds right. Yep. Amazing so, what I find just rummaging through my you know, my notes. Oh, by the way, the great, the late great Siskel and Ebert both loved this movie and gave it three and a half out of four stars in case anyone cared. You know, when I looked, I was kind of shocked. The Rotten Tomato score for this is 65. That angers me. I, I was really surprised by that. Yeah, that, that angers but me. Speaking of those scores, do you kind of want to get a give a overall kind of like final opinion on the film? Yes, we can give some final thoughts right now. I don't usually assign scores unless I go on to Kaiju Weekly and then we have to do the Godzuki scores, but I hang out with Godzuki, so I don't give scores. Fair enough. Yeah, I usually just kind of throw out like, I mean, it's it's decent. I like his uh, X out of five. Yeah. But. I mean, if you want to do that, you go ahead and do that. I would, if I had to give it a score, twist my arm, make me give it a score, probably give it a four out of five. I think it is, it, it was a relic when it came out, but it's a relic in the best way possible. It's an old fashioned classical adventure story with some of what I think is some of the greatest work Harryhausen ever did in his career. The Medusa mm-hmm. scene alone is just uncanny and unequaled i feel like Mm -hmm. in many ways there was never anything like that before and never anything quite like it after and it's a time capsule it was a time capsule when it came out like i said and 
If you haven't seen it, I hope you do go and see it. I think it's better than the remake. And I also would love to see this get the star treatment. You know, yeah, apparently the Harryhausen Institute actually recorded a commentary with Harryhausen on the movie, but it's not been released yet. See, that is what the ultimate Criterion Ray Harryhausen box set should include. Mm-hmm. If that ever happens. If it ever happens. So I'm going to go a quick little tidbit facts about copyright on this film and Harryhausen's other films. So this film is one of the three that are owned by Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. The other two being The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and The Valley of Guanji. If you want to count the animal world, the animal world too. So in theory, Warner could do a four-movie box set with those. Disney owns 1 million years BC through their acquisition of Fox. So that's going to be in kind of limbo. And at one point, Columbia was going to pick up Clash of the Titans, but they passed on it due to budgetary reasons. But Columbia has the rest of Harryhausen's Mm -hmm. films. It came from Beneath the Sea, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, 20 million miles to Earth, The Three Worlds of Gulliver, all three Sinbad films, Jason and the Argonauts, all of those, Columbia was the one they worked with. So kind of surprising Columbia didn't work with Harryhausen this one last time. It's kind of disappointing too. Oh, well, right? (laughs) Right. But I mean, overall, the film is a lot more dated than I remember. Mm -hmm. It was instantly dated when it came out. Mm Mm-hmm. And now it's even more dated. I like the effects. I enjoy them. I. It's a little disappointing that it came out in 81 in that regards, mm-hmm. but it's not horrible. It's just disappointing that Harryhausen didn't do anything new. Granted, we've established that that was just kind of his, that was his, his feng shui. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a fun movie. Uh, when I think of Harryhausen, there's two things I think of. I think of the Ymir on top of the Colosseum, mm-hmm. and I think of the Kraken rising up from the ocean near those rock formations before she, uh, he tries to grab uh, Andromeda. Andromeda. So I, I, I think it's one of his most more memorable films. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it was my first Harryhausen film I saw. I think it might have been mine as well. I remember catching this on TV one time. It's a great film for what it is. It's mm-hmm. clearly Harryhausen. Mm-hmm. Undeniably um, Harryhausen. Absolutely. Rewatching it today uh, was interesting. Mm-hmm. I have some nitpicks and I have my gripes. You are uh, the littlest gatekeeper, after all. Yeah, that's what that's what you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got plenty of nudity. <laughs> <laughs> that makes everything better for you? <laughs> People are going to think that that's like a selling point for me, and it really isn't. I could care less. It, there's but actually I, not all that much. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I had to keep the joke going. Yeah. I haven't mentioned breastfeeding or nudity at all well you know fun fact uh, the girl who played andromeda that wasn't her in the nude scene that was a body double i i was uh, she couldn't do it i was like i don't think the actress would actually let the side nipple i i I was like i'm pretty sure that's a that's a nude double so i'm not surprised by that and and i was was thinking of that when you're talking about the editing because there's like there's clearly an edit where they switch and it's actually her yeah 
So I'm kind of happy I could pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, I maybe I do know what I'm talking about for the most part. <laughs> maybe you do sometimes. All right. So uh, to wrap things up, I'm going to play my credits because I don't think you have any credits to play. Not so yet. I will briefly say. Hey, everyone, go check out my spinoff podcast, Henshin Men, uh, which is about Henshin heroes and the power trip, a journey through the Power Rangers franchise that I co-host with a couple of good friends of ours, Travis Alexander on Henshin Men and Michael Hamilton on the power trip. And I want to give quick shout outs right now to our MIFV Max patrons on Patreon. Travis Alexander, as I already mentioned, Danny DeManna, Eli Harris, Chris Cook. Bex from Redeemed Otaku, Damon Noise, The Cellcast, Tofu Fury, Eric Anderson, and Ted Williams. And since I'll be playing my credits live, Elijah, let all the good folks know where they can find you and you know where they can find this podcast and everything else. Okay. I don't have the script because I didn't bring my tablet because I forgot it. So we're just going to do this off the top of my head. Oh, no. Thank you guys so much for listening. It's great to be back, and I'm excited for the future. We should be getting a new episode coming out in like two weeks, probably after this episode comes out. Little tease for you. It's not going to be anything exciting. It's just going to be catching up, learning about all the fun stuff that we've been doing since we haven't uploaded. (gasps) How dare you? So, yeah, right. So, I'm Elijah. You can find me on YouTube at ET13 Productions. I haven't uploaded like in a year on that account either. So Yeah, but you were busy um, graduating high school. Yeah. And or was it kindergarten? Other. I forget. I, I I don't keep track anymore. I feel <laughs> like I got held back too much. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at ET13 Productions, or if you want to follow my personal account, which is whatever is going on in the mind of one Elijah Thomas, you can follow me at E Thomas 1975. You can find me on Instagram at ET13 Productions or on Facebook at Elijah Thomas, which again, I don't really post a lot. So you're just going to get a lot of empty stuff. But, you know, maybe, maybe you want to message me, be like, hey, it's nice to hear that you're podcasting again. It's great. You should also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five star. Lots and lots of five stars. Yeah, I would really appreciate to get above a two point like two because <laughs> some people don't like the people I'm friends with. Uh, I I don't know. I I've done nothing to you people. I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. <laughs> I you don't know my politics. You don't know how I view things. Maybe we agree. You don't know. Nobody knows. Well. Some people know, but yes. not a lot of people know. Yeah. I feel like I'm a fair person. Yes. So if you could leave us a review, I'll read that on air. A five star would be great. I would just like to bump it up so people don't think that we are absolute garbage. You can follow the podcast at Kaiju underscore Converse on Twitter, on Which Facebook. might be about shoes. You know, I've been waiting for somebody to make that joke. I've been, I've made that joke before. <laughs> I don't I don't know if you've said it to me though. I feel like like I don't I don't feel like anybody has ever pointed out the fact that it's converse, like the shoes. 
Thank you so much for that, Nathan. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> or on Instagram at Kaiju Conversation. And we also have a YouTube channel, Kaiju Conversation, where you can listen to an exclusive interview with Mechagod's uh, Ready Player One and Godzilla vs. Kong designer, Jared Kurchevsky. I think I mispronounced mm-hmm. his last name, along with some other bonus things. Speaking of which, you should be expecting a little bonus video coming up in the coming weeks. <gasps> All in celebration for the reboot, the return, the exciting second chapter of the Kaiju Conversation saga. It's probably like the third or fourth at this point. But a lot of exciting stuff to come. I appreciate you guys hanging in. I appreciate Nathan and Travis and Michael for kind of pushing my butt along Mm -hmm. and like having me on and having me talk. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because I I talk a lot. I -hmm. talk a lot. And I should get back on the mic and talk more. Yes, you should. And not only do you have that, but we also are going to be at G-Fest and we're going to be paddling together. I was keeping that a secret. There's the announcement, guys. (laughs) I didn't say anything yet. I don't know if I was. I was just kind of like still getting around that. Uh But yeah, that's happening. That's going to be exciting. If you want to meet me. I don't know why you would want to meet me. He has a I'm, face. I'm, I'm not that special. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a six foot one blonde headed Caucasian that's slightly overweight. <laughs> There's nothing special about me. You're I sometimes a, you're wear a glasses. tall, chubby toehead, is what you're saying. I, I don't know if ch- I honestly. I feel like I've lost weight, so it's more just like slightly overweight. <laughs> but yeah, that that's happening. That that you know, if somebody's like, "Are you Elijah from Kaiju Conversation?" I'd yeah, I like, uh, if, I remember going to G Fest and recognizing people by their voices, and I'm like, "I know that voice." And I look over, it's like, "You don't look how I pictured." <laughs> Anyway, Maybe we're going like, to have a good time. Good time will be had by all. So, it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be great. Got everything covered? Go on Patreon and support the Monster Island Film Vault. <laughs> I don't ever do plugs for Patreon, so go to www.patreon.com. Well, then set an example. Rejoin MIFV Max right now. <laughs> and they're back. They okay. just joined. That's what that moment of silence was for, was them to go and do that, and then they come back. Okay, so, sure, sure. Well, if I you've think, got everything covered. Oh, there's one thing we both missed. Oh, what's that? We both write for Kaiju Drama Ramen Media. Magazine. This is true, and they have a new issue that will be coming out very soon, and we both have articles in there. I did. I we do. We do. I don't know what you wrote about. I know what I wrote about. I wrote about Gomez and a Jurass. I wrote about a more obscure title. I usually don't like to announce what I write about, just simply for the surprise. Mm-hmm. But I will just say this. It's about a lost film that has quite the interesting history and oh, a yes. lot of importance to where it comes from. But in researching it, I found out there are other films <gasps> that are also giant monsters. So now I'm going to have to look into those, maybe do a little essay about those. But we also write for the website. Do you write for the website? You write for the website. Yes, Mm -hmm. you do. I write for the website, too. I've posted a few. KaijuRamenMedia.com. KaijuRamenMedia.com. And you can follow that on 
Twitter at Kaiju Ramen Media, right? Yes. That's okay. Cool. I know what I'm talking about. So support those. It's run by our friends Travis and Michael of mm-hmm. the Kaiju Weekly podcast. Great guys, and uh, they they put a lot of effort into this. Mm-hmm. So so much, I, so much. I'm honored to be able to help them on this. Not painless. There's probably some pain that comes with it. This kind of painful <laughs> journey that they've put on themselves, but it's it's been fun, and I've enjoyed it a lot. And I'm happy that both me and Nathan can work with them on that. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, that's been great, and you know what else has been great? This episode, dang it! <laughs> yeah, I just keep going. I don't want it to end. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, just wait until we do some more Harryhausen next year, which is going to be, like I said, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. There's going to be so many Rocky jokes next year when we do this. <laughs> I've never seen Rocky, and I think I'm going to keep it that way just so I don't know anything you're talking about. What? How dare you? I don't you? watch pleb films. I don't watch pleb films. I pleb watch films. Yeah, the, okay. Yeah. All right. You and me, Littlest Gatekeeper, we need to have a conversation. But first, I got to get us off the air. That's right. So please, everybody, remember, life's too short to not talk big. All right, Jimmy. Cue the credits. Thank you for listening to The Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you want to join the discussion and be heard on the show, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault and on Twitter, where our handle is at TheMonsterIsla1. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and TikTok. Follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy and our many other colorful characters using the links in the show notes. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Serax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack, Battle with the Colossus, and the Opened Way, Battle with the Colossus, by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas media production. Sayonara! Sayonara!